0: We're joined today by Sean Z. Becker of Sean Z. Becker Real Estate. After continued growth year over year with 44% growth in 2017, Sean is emerging as a success story for an indie brokerage model built for the long run. Located in Portland, Oregon, Sean Z. Becker Real Estate is the number one firm in real estate sales for the 97239 zip code responsible for the sale of the most expensive condo in the history of Portland. Sean has spoken as a thought leader, both regionally and nationally, and has shared his thought-provoking ideas on running his business on Forbes. Let's welcome Sean to the call as we join our host, Tim Harris. Sean, I'm sure the first question everybody has for you is, what the heck does Z stand for and the Sean Z. Becker name?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, of course. The Z course. Is, a, is a family name. Uh, my father had a small business uh, that had a Z in it, and I was given that as a child, so I used it in my business, and it just kind of stuck. And So, so
0: Z is just, <laughs> it's so
1: a it's
0: just the letter? It's just a
1: letter? No, it's Zeller. Oh. The middle name is Zeller. Zeller.
0: Okay, cool. Got it. But, all right, I heard a little echo in the background. If you're, yeah, if, are you on a cell phone, or are you listening with speakers on or something like that? Nope. Um Not on my
1: landline. Nope.
0: Okay, got it. Okay so now? uh there's a little bit of weirdness. Let's just proceed. Um Tim, can you work on that for us to see if there's something you can fix? So, listen, you have a very unique brokerage model. It's something that that's one of the reasons I was excited to have you on our podcast. Can you share with all the listeners, and there's probably going to be about 130,000 listening today. Can you share with all the listeners what makes your independent business model different than what else you've seen in the marketplace?
1: Well, we're effectively a large team. Um, I kind of, I own and operate the business, but effectively it's my large team. And so we're not a traditional brokerage in that we're recruiting agents and we're in this recruiting arms race to try to get people in um, on lower and lower desk fees. The idea is that we're basically a family. We all work together and that um, I felt like the team was the the wave of the future and um, I think the clients appreciate it. It gives you a 24-7 operation Um, and I just felt like it was time to be my own freestanding independent brokerage, you know, free of the confines of a traditional model.
0: So you started out work uh, forming a team underneath the brokerage. Then your team got to the point where you really didn't need the brokerage, and you branched off and started your own brokerage. In essence, correct?
1: Exactly. That's exactly correct. Yep. Okay. But I was also very strategic about it. Um... Oh, go ahead.
0: No, no. Go ahead. You were strategic about it. I'm curious. Finish, please. Well,
1: strategic about it because I just didn't break off and go. Open a brokerage up on the third floor of an office building in downtown, I wanted to make a move that gave me a market share. It gave me a presence that kind of bolstered my uh, belief in my own platform, if you will. And so I opened an office. In fact, I bought a retail space um, and then moved my company into it. And so we run a retail brokerage. I mean, we feel more like a coffee shop than we do a real estate office. And that's why my market share has soared.
0: It's interesting. We live just north of Austin, Texas. And of course, you know, Keller Williams is in Austin, Texas. And a lot of Of uh, Keller Williams, Keller Williams has been championing the team model probably more vocally than anybody for at least the past, well, 20 years, probably. Yeah. And but what's fascinating, and I say this a lot on our podcast when we're talking about teams and whatnot, is how many small independent brokerages there are uh, that were that are essentially small teams that broke off from being part of Keller Williams. It makes me wonder whether or not Keller Williams really thought through the long-term ramifications of teaching agents how to build teams that they'd eventually create competitors, but here nor there. So what makes your team unique? What's the value proposition for someone to work as part of your brokerage?
1: Leads. I mean, plain and simple. Well, one culture, first of all, great people. I'm very, very selective about who's on the team. Um, but I would say leads and opportunity. Um, because of our location, which I mentioned was strategic purchase and location, we get a ton of walk-in traffic. And I don't mean, you know, people just kicking tires, looking around, you know, million-dollar walk-ins. Um, and we're able to generate high-caliber, high-priced leads at a very high clip that you just don't see done. At least in Portland, we don't see that done very often. So when you join my team, um, you, you know, you have access to instant business. You can go from just starting to instant business.
0: So you're you're buying a lot of buyer leads, correct? And you're distributing those to your, no, uh, the agents?
1: I don't buy anything. Nope, I'm not on Zipo. Oh. I don't buy any leads oh. at all. Awesome. Be- because of my retail location, um, as I mentioned, I'm very strategically. So I'm located in a retail district, um, and out my door I'm looking at 765 condominiums, to give you an idea. The average <laughs> price is about $700,000. I have over 53% of the market in this particular neighborhood, and I'm the only brokerage here. That's why when you join my team, you get access to good quality deals.
0: Yeah, man, I'm with you. Brilliant. And, you know, I hope listeners are are really focusing in on what he's saying. What he's talking about, he's kind of combined uh, sort of the best of the new with the best of the old. And he's created something that he's taken what, what obviously works following more traditional business models. He's applied it to a newer business model. And that's the reason he's so successful. When you guys listen to the other folks that we often feature on our podcast, they're very similar In the way Sean thinks. These are not people that are just essentially following, you know. some specific team model. What they've done, if they base analy- they're thinking like business people. And I hope podcast listeners, you're sensing that when you listen to the words that Sean's using. He's actually telling you how he strategically chose, probably took a big financial risk, chose a very high profile retail location. He is not buying buyer leads. So I imagine you work the absolute bejeebers out of that geographic area, right? So give, yep. give the listeners sure. an idea. Well, yeah. Talk to, yeah, Talk to us about that, please.
1: For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, as I mentioned, the only brokerage down here, and I want to keep it that way. So um, defensively, if you will, I'm the largest sponsor of almost any event in the neighborhood, whether it's movies in the park, concerts in the parks, the schools, fundraisers for the arts program for the schools in the neighborhood, the community gardens, the dog park, you name it, I've poured money back into the community. And um, that's been my number one marketing effort in my business is pouring money back into the community because one, I think the homeowners here appreciate it. it. makes their homes more valuable. It's better for the community. And then organically, they come to see us to sell their homes.
0: Well, so and that's fantastic. Right. I just got a message from uh, Ventura. and He wants you to try to hold the phone closer to your mouth so we can hear you a little bit better. I said you're a little bit faint, if that's okay, if you can.
1: Sure. How's that? Is that better? Okay.
0: Oh that's a thousand times better. Very good. All right. So let's talk, for example, what were, when you were starting out, like we had somebody recently, he was the, he had the number one team in San Diego and uh, I forget how many units they sold, but like a bazillion. And he got rid of his team and he's downsizing and he's just focusing primarily on listings. Because he was, unlike you, Sean, he was buying a lot of his business. And what he realized he'd created with his team models, a bunch of pissed off, hungry birds that were never happy with the worms that he was giving to them. So he just finally realized when he put a pen to paper and he realized he wasn't making any money. He literally realized he was only making money off the transactions he was personally doing. Well, you know blinding strike of obvious. He decides to get rid of his yep. team. Now he's downsizing. He start, so you, you've you seen other people struggle with that model. So can you talk to that? Yep. It sounds to me like you have a lot of experience talking to other people. Yes?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I guess a couple things about the team. So I'm not a firm believer in pigeonholing the brokers and saying, you're just a buyer's broker. That's all you can do for us. Because in my case with a retail location, people walk in the door. They don't care about my process. They want what they want. And I want to make sure my team can give the customer every single thing they want, whether it's a million dollar listing or a $300,000 buyer. Um, So I don't discriminate, first of all, on my team in terms of roles. Um, Secondly, everyone here is on a 50-50 split. That's just how it works. It's 50-50 and then um, a 10% transaction fee. And so what's happened is There's no desk fees or anything like that. So every single deal, whether I touch it or not, I'm getting 50% of it. Um, So that's kind of, for me, has helped me be, I would say, highly profitable relative to the industry.
0: I would definitely agree with you. It seems like that would be a very highly profitable model, and that's the way the model was done, the business was done. Frankly, that's the way the business was done before REMAX came around. I mean, REMAX is the company that upset the apple cart with regards to commissions way back when, 70s you know. Yeah. So let's talk a a little bit about – I I wrote down some just big general thoughts because I have a feeling you're going to be somebody that's going to have a lot of insight on all this since you're very much on the front lines. What were your biggest limiting beliefs or thoughts about starting this business, about doing what you've done? There's a lot of people that are ambitious like you were, but none of them – a lot of people don't follow through. They don't take the action. So what was it that you believed – about doing what you've done versus what you've discovered? What were your limiting beliefs?
1: Um, You know, I think it was the white noise from the outside, if you will. Um, When I was chewing on the idea, I was kicking it around with my peers in the industry, the owners of the brokerage I was at. And I kind of got the feedback, you're crazy, you know, you're gonna torpedo your career, it's a bad move. And I think some of that white noise maybe early on was a, a fear, if you will. But once I saw the opportunity, I realized I saw something that other people didn't see, and I was so evangelical about it, you couldn't change my mind. It was just I was down the path, and I was gone. Um, You know, I took a huge financial risk. Personally, I bought a 3,000-square-foot retail space, parking. I mean, I was all in on this thing, and so there was no going back. There was no opportunity, or even there was never a conversation about failure. It was, this thing's going to work. It has to. Um, So I put my life's work into it to make it work.
0: Well, so right there, that's the big thing you've heard about. Maybe you haven't heard this. I shouldn't make the assumption, but I bet you have. You heard the story about the burning of the ships and all that, and the captain that burned the ship so the sailors couldn't decide to go back to the ship and not fight the battle on the beachhead. Have you heard that before?
1: Mm-hmm not really, not
0: quite like that. No. Okay, well, I'll tell, I'll tell the story. This is probably Tim's rendition of the story, but it's some historical fact that there was this is way back when, obviously, but there was a, uh, a captain, and there was three ships, and he was supposed to uh, a- essentially attack this uh, beachhead, and, and on the beach were obviously well-fortified troops, and for every one of his guys there were like ten of the enemy, you know? And uh, mm-hmm. again, this is a historical fact. It, and so what happened was, basically all the sailors said, screw that I want to stay on the ship. Well, he finally convinces them to get off the ship and go be soldiers. And what he does to make it so that they don't have a line of retreat is he burns the ships. So they had no way of retreating. And as a result of that, they won the victory. And that's kind of what you did too. I mean, you, you essentially made it so that you were all in on accomplishing this goal. You created what our dear, Uh, departed friend and mentor Howard Britton used to refer to as a have to situation. You had to succeed. Mm -hmm. You didn't have a choice. That's incredibly powerful. So now that you're no longer in a have to situation, do you re do you try to, how do you recreate that level of motivation or how do you keep yourself motivated?
1: Take a lot of vacation. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean to watch the growth and watch the success of the company has been pretty amazing. Um, So it's been, you know, five years or so and that's really that's kept me fired and passionate and going 110 percent um i'm sure at some point i might have to dig deep to find more motivation but at the moment i'm as motivated as i've ever been i see the success um i see a market opportunity in front of us that just keeps growing um so i'm still i kind of still share that all in mentality even today um and the people that work for me are wonderful they're great people um you know, they keep me motivated. There's days I'm probably not as energetic as I'd like to be, and they kind of boost me up and get me going. And so I don't know. ask me in five more years.
0: <laughs> Actually, you know, my next question, I was just literally writing the word five more years. when you said that that was creepy. So there's a lot of talk, a lot of fear about the changes that are happening, you know, about Zillow being an iBuyer company about, and you know, you, those of you who have not been in the industry forever, you don't have perspective. Agents have been fearful of becoming irrelevant ever since Julie and I have been in real estate, which is basically for about 25 years. So that's always been the omnipresent fear that something is going to come around. And as Brad Inman used to say in, in, that, in the 90s and try to disintermediate us. Well, it's never happened. Maybe it'll happen. I'm kind of curious what Sean's opinion of it is not specific to the disintermediation, the removing of the middleman, you know, but what do you think the biggest threats are to the industry of the next five years?
1: Ourselves, honestly, I think it's coming from the inside out. uh, I mean, the beast is already in the belly, if you will. So I think we have to maintain control of the relationships You know, as agents and as brokers, we have to non-stop be working on relationships because at the end of the day, it's a who-knows-you business, and, you know, there's no algorithm for the messiness of real estate. I mean, the divorce situation with the husband, wife, kids moving across town, there's no algorithm to solve some of these real estate messes that we find ourselves in um, in these sales. But I do think that we can allow ourselves to be uh, disrupted in terms of the relationship. And so I think you have to work. You can't hide behind the computer screen. You can't hide behind text messaging. You can't hide, you know, behind social media. You have to be out and have a visible presence in your community every single day, seven days a week. And you have the relationship. And when you do that, it's very, very difficult to get an algorithm between you and a relationship. I just can't see that happening. Um, stay close to the checkbook would be my advice. So if you're the, buying – the labels, I buy...
0: No, go ahead. Sorry,
1: I'd say, you know, if you're in the position where you're buying leads, for example, well, now you've built your business on the back of somebody else's platform. You're ripe to be disrupted. Um, But if you build your own model and your own lead generation platform, it's pretty hard to upend that apple cart.
0: And, you know, everything you just said makes perfect sense. And I don't think there's a person listening that wouldn't completely agree with you, you know, wouldn't completely understand the importance of essentially going out there and meeting people and talking with people, making contacts and being of use, you know, being of value, offering uh, a level of, I hate the word service, but offering a level of expert level service that they can't uh, ever experience on you know, Zillow's platform for, and in, in that type of thing. So if you guys want to distance, you mediate yourself. I think Sean said it really perfectly. You're going to do it to yourself by being lazy and complacent. How do you convince your agents or new agents that are joining your brokerage or want to join your brokerage to literally get off their butts and go out there and actually do real work in a world where everyone thinks they can buy their way to success? How do you overcome that almost cultural apathy and laziness?
1: Yeah. You asking me, <laughs> no. uh, I think the thing is for me with my people that work with me, we're very, very kind of self policing and self motivating that way. Um, we kind of each push each other out the door every day to keep us moving. And, um, you know, I think in real estate, you have to taste some success. And once you've tasted it, you kind of know where to, you know, where, you know, where your uh, bread is buttered and you kind of know how to go back there every time, but you have to find that sweet spot and that'll keep you motivated.
0: When you have agents that have the mindset that they're not salespeople, because that's another thing that's sort of omnipresent in real estate, which is strange to even say out loud, but it's true. So many of them don't want, oh, I'm not a salesman. Oh, I don't want to be seen, feel like a salesman, seen like a salesman. I'm not a salesperson. But you are a salesperson. And the struggle to, uh, you know... redefine yourself as something other than a salesperson is what's preventing you from having success so sean how do you how how do you address that particular mindset challenge that so many agents have
1: well i mean my thinking there's a good great book about this actually but everybody's in sales it doesn't matter what you do you're in sales you know we all have to sell something ourselves our idea something and so i kind of reinforce that um, with everyone around here that look you know yes we're providing a service yes we're experts but at the end of the day, we're in a sales business. We have to bring business in the door, and we have to close it. And we have to keep that at the forefront of our mind every single day. Um, if someone is lazy or complacent, they're just not going to work here for me. I'm just going to let them go, um, as harsh as that is to say. It's just that's not the kind of operation or organization I'm running. It's, we're very, very driven, and everyone here has to be driven equally as hard as me. Otherwise, it's not going to work.
0: Talk about the standards that you hold for your agents. Talk about that. That's something I would love to have the industry learn more about because as you know, most brokerages are just body shops in essence where they're just trying to get as many bodies in as possible. They know statistically those agents are going to sell their centers of influence and past clients in 24 months and then they're going to get out of the business. And listeners, that's the reason Julie and I tell you not just to rely on your centers of influence and past clients. You'll have a very short shelf life if that's all you do. That's feeding into... Uh, essentially the reason why so many agents, like I don't even know what the numbers are, it's 97%, 98% fail within 24 months. So how how do you go about, A, what are the standards you hold them to, and B, how do you go about holding them accountable to those standards?
1: Well, so we have, um, I like to say we're a learning organization, and so we read, read, read. I buy everybody here books, we read blogs, we fo- we go to Inman, et cetera, right? I mean, everyone here is a, is a learner by definition, otherwise – I wouldn't have them in my office so everyone here has to have that mindset of a learner and they have to also have the mindset of someone who wants to share and share what they know shared knowledge Um, that's kind of how we operate you know if somebody came along and this has happened to me where somebody just didn't have that the motor on them if you will you know ultimately i said let them go no matter how technically savvy they are no matter how strong their you know center of influence is like you said it's all that's all going to evaporate. Somebody has to have a motor. They got to want to keep going and um if I see someone here that doesn't have that, I would have to let them go, but fortunately I'm not in that situation at the moment. Of great people. Of so, great people.
0: So you're talking about the the drive to succeed, the drive to overcome, the drive to never quit, the drive to basically, yes, you've had a shitty day, but you're going to pick yourself up and you're going to you know do what you don't want to do and you don't want to do it at the highest level. Can that be taught? You know,
1: I would have normally said yes, but I have seen people that, no, I just don't think, either you have that drive or you don't. You know, all of us are going to fail. We're going to lose deals. And, you know, you have to learn how to lose deals in this business. That's the nature of the business. And you have to pick yourself up, and there's only one word. It's next, and you got to keep going. And if you don't have that inherently, I don't know that it's pretty hard to teach somebody that drive, that ambition. You know, you're we're professionals, you got to train and coach and practice like a professional and you got to do it every single day, even on Sunday.
0: I think you're right. Honestly, I've been coached for forever and had hundreds of thousands of coaching calls. I think you're right. And I know that sounds counterintuitive to come from someone in my industry, but not everyone can succeed at the highest level. It's true. And, uh, and, and they can, but they don't. And why don't they? Because they just choose not to. The information, this is a cool thing about nowadays, guys, this is, I'm a real quick speech here, is you have access to information like this great podcast, you're listening to someone like Sean, who's obviously incredibly experienced and honest, and those of you who are in the Portland area, if you're not considering joining his brokerage, or at least trying to join his brokerage, if he'll take you, you're crazy. I mean, this is the kind of guy you want to work for, clearly. So what's interesting to me is there's so much information out there on how to succeed, And yet there's also a big, massive amount of information that's out there that's basically how to, you know, you can supposedly not ever have to do the real work and somehow you can magically succeed. And the liars out there that are selling false information about how to, you know, the silver bullets and the shiny objects, the lead buying type things, those are the guys that are right now winning the tug of war for the industry's heart and soul. And that's one of the reasons that so many agents are struggling right now because they don't, they're not listening to Sean. They're not realizing that they have to get off their butts and go out there and meet people. They have to go out there and earn the business. Guys, if you don't have the success that you want, have you ever really just accepted the fact it's because you haven't earned it yet? And the only way you earn it is basically by providing a high level of service. In other words, help other people solve their problems in such a quantity that you'll have an abundance of opportunity and money. Have you ever thought about that? There's a direct correlation in the number of people you help accomplish their goals and the things you experience in life. And look, in this day and age, in our country, we are blessed that we can have some pretty damn good lifestyles living in, you know, just all over the place, and you don't have to earn that much money. And some people choose to spend their time you know, working out or going to the gym or playing guitar or playing sports or just doing all these other things versus trying to make themselves uh, successful in business. And so you've got to really be honest with yourself. Because being successful long term in any business, and anyone that tells you this isn't what I'm saying isn't true right now has never really been successful long term in business. It is a lifestyle. It is a way of thinking. It's a way of breathing. It's a way of being. And if you if you can't if you a don't have that in you already, which you probably don't, you can create it. But if once you start learning and listening from people like Sean, if you don't start emulating and copying and trying to basically, you know. Um, share his wavelength of thinking and the intensity in which he thinks, then you're not going to make it. There is no gray area in this industry or any other industry. You have to basically be the guy who's willing to burn his ships. That there's there's so much to be said for that mentality. And there is virtually no room for anything in the middle anymore. That's the thing that all this information has done. It's made it so that there's so many people that are competing for the same deal that it's almost confusing as far as from the consumer's perspective, who they should hire until they come across somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. That's when you make the biggest difference. So let's talk about um, one of our favorite books, Sean, is a book called fanatical prospecting. You might want to prescribe that to all your um, agents Mm -hmm. by Jeb Blunt. It's an awesome book by the way. Yeah. and, And one of the things he talks about is he talks about, um, social networking and how social networking. I asked Jeb this question. I said, this is prior to our interview on on our show, uh, Real Estate Coaching Radio. I asked Jeb, what what was the react? So he does a lot of coaching and training on on like the big stage for like, you know, GE and, you know, he does sales training for these big, huge international organizations. And I asked him, well, what's their reaction to him telling them to, you know, essentially fanatically prospect, i.e., the picking up the phone, going to meet people, what you're talking about, what I talk about, versus the huge social networking thing. And this is what he said. I thought it was such a funny answer, an ironic answer. He said, Tim, my book is the number one New York Times bestseller right now. And it's about not social networking. It's about, you know, essentially prospecting. He said, "And it's being bought by these industry leaders. What does that tell you? You know, so the social networking thing is another thing that's plagued the industry because it's agents believing they could be passive and generate business. What's your opinion on that?
1: No, I don't think passive and real estate uh, sales should ever be in the same sentence, first of all. Um, I think you're prospecting 24-7, whether you're dropping your kids off at the school and you bump into someone or you're walking in the front door of your office and you bump into someone. I I think if you're going to be successful in real estate, you're prospecting 24-7 period end of a story. The business is too competitive. If you won't do it, somebody else will. And if you're not thinking about them, they're not thinking about you and I mean on and on, right? You no, you're prospecting twenty four seven. And if you look at brokers and, or agents, you know, who have become successful, they share this trade of I call it manufacturing deals. They know how to go put deals together that otherwise would not otherwise would not come together. They know the right seller to call. They know the right buyer to call. You know, they have that kind of innate Um, marketplace, command of the marketplace. And so, no, I think you're prospecting 24 seven. That's my approach.
0: And prospecting, guys, comes in the direct format, like many of you live in fear of doing, but also prospecting has, um, just when you're in normal conversations, you're standing in line at Starbucks or whatever, and, you know, you're having, you see this person a couple times, you friend them up, you guys, you know, I'm not talking Facebook, I'm talking (laughs) real life friendships, you know, because you see this person so frequently, introduce yourself, And then you throw this at the end of the conversation as you're walking off with your latte. Oh, by the way, I was meaning to ask you, who do you know that I should be helping buy or sell in this market? If you think of anyone, I sure would appreciate it if you think of me. Just say stuff like that, guys. That's a contact. That's prospecting. That's a nice, indirect, friendly, non-aggressive about as amiable approach to prospecting as you can possibly get. We teach you guys how to prospect by just like, uh, Sean, this is a great story. You might want to use this too with, for your agents that are really you know introverted. Julie had this coaching client. She was in Premier Coaching, and she was super introverted, like someone who had been like an accountant all of her life, and just one thing led to another, and she wanted to sell real estate. Somebody who, on the surface, you'd say, would never be successful at it. Well, so Julie, right. she wouldn't pick up the phone no matter what. She She was very... Uh, faint in her voice and just not with just a lot of things working against her. But she loved animals and she volunteered at this local humane society a private one, private adoptions, you know. So Julie and she would go down there almost every day and walk. Some of the dogs that were up for adoption. So the dogs had to wear these little reflective vests and leashes and she'd walk them around. She lived in a beach community in Southern California. So Julie said, do this. Why don't you put on a t-shirt and on the front of the back that says, I, I, I'm up for adoption. I don't remember the exact phrasing, but what it was was some, something that was cute and provocative. And then she put on the reflective sign on the dogs, um, the same thing. And as a result of that, and she also wore her realtor her name tag. And was, as a result of that, that lady started selling real estate just because people were coming up to her and asking her. And she essentially was doing something she already loved doing, which was the animal thing, you know, walking the dogs, being of service to these poor little homeless critters. And she was meeting other people that were like-minded. The next thing you know is she's doing real estate transactions. She does this every day. We had another coaching client who would not prospect no matter what. Dave, I know you're an everyday listener, so I'm going to use you as an example, but he played golf constantly. So we said this, you can play golf, never with the same people, two days in a row. And when you play golf, you have to walk away with at least three referrals. Now, I don't know if he, he always did three, but he at least did one. And his business took off too. So prospecting guys does not mean you have to be locked into a boiler room you know, with no light and a headphone on where you're not allowed to come out until you've, you know, sold your whatever you're supposed to sell. Prospecting is a natural uh, extension of conversations you're already having with people that are surrounding you constantly. Uh, Any thoughts on that, Sean?
1: Absolutely. I think, especially when you're starting out, excuse me, sorry, when you're starting out, you know, prospecting, for example, I'm a cyclist. Okay. So for me, I, I never really thought about it I was just riding my bike with my friends and people I knew and that sphere kind of grew and grew but I was by default I was prospecting because people say what do you do well I'm in the real estate business what do you do and then next thing you know you do this over a couple years you know whether it's knitting or cycling or dog walking or whatever the case is go to your core be who you are and more than likely people like you want to do business with you because they're just like you and it's a very disarming way to meet people as opposed to cold calling and trying to you know sell them on why they should list with you now for on an expired listing go network with the people you know and prospect in your own community of whether it's dog walking or cycling that's where your business is going to come from and no. just grow from there
0: not that there's anything wrong, and obviously, guys, the the Fisbos and the expireds and the, you know, the other sources, that's always going to be the best source of business because those are people that already have their hands in their air and say, yes, I have a house to sell. But if you're in a market like Sean's, I'm guessing there's not a hell of a lot of expireds, especially in this overall market, and he's living in one of the hottest zip codes in the country right now. So yeah, you're going to have to basically diversify. Remember the rule is you have to have, or you should be working towards having at least seven spokes on your lead generation wheel. And the one that Sean and I are talking about is the prospecting spoke and the prospecting spoke that you do in person is the one that's going to have the most impact, the fastest. So Sean, anything else you'd like to say to all the podcast listeners that are out there and folks in your particular market? Um, I can just tell by, this is the first time I've talked with Sean, but I can tell that if I were to meet Sean, in person, he and I would be fast friends because he and I are sharing the same wavelength. Sean's not trying to puff himself up and talk about buying leads and talk about, you know, the magic of his 47 you know level drip system or as complicated this or as complicated that. He's telling you guys the honest to God truth on what it takes to be successful in this business or anything, any other business. And I love also what he said, no matter what business you're in, and this is so true, if you don't see yourself being in sales, you will fail. It does not matter if you're a doctor. It does not matter if you're an accountant. It does not matter if you cut grass for a living. If you do not see your primary aim as being in sales, you will fail because you need customers. <laughs> you need people to provide services to, otherwise you make no money. No matter how good you are at whatever it is that you do, if you cannot sell it is, sell what you do, you will make no money. So, Sean, anything else you'd like to say to the folks in your particular market, how they might reach out to you if they're interested in joining your brokerage, or anything else you'd like to say to the national audience?
1: Sure, yeah. I think one of my partying things would be just be yourself. You know, also, I see people trying to be somebody they're not. If you're a brand new agent, you're a brand new agent. You you can't pretend like you have done something you haven't done. I think you need to be authentic and genuine and be believable. Just be yourself. And, uh, you know, I think that business will come if that's the case, because... Most people that buy and sell real estate are sophisticated. They can see through uh, the Mirage a lot of times. Um, And if you're trying to track me down, I'm pretty easy. It's Sean, S-E-A-N. So SeanZBecker.com is my website. Um, You can always track me down through there. Um, We're located in South Waterfront in Portland, Oregon. So we're pretty easy to find.
0: If you guys are in Portland and you're seriously looking for a good place to plant long-term roots, working for a great brokerage, um, you know, I can't think of a better place. And I know some of you, uh, and Sean, I'm sure you experience this all the time. They're basically making their determination as to whether or not they wouldn't even talk to you based on the commission split. If you guys are thinking like that, I'm going to save Sean the hassle. Don't even call him and talk about commission splits. Seriously, don't waste his time. Because if you don't get the benefit, if you don't inherently intuitively know what a huge benefit it would be working for this guy in his location, <laughs> in his brokerage, working for someone who has this mindset, if you don't see the value in that, then you're not a good cultural fit for his company. Sean, did I speak for you uh, sufficiently?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, that's, a, <laughs> that's spot on, actually. Yep. I would say the reward just, has to be deeper than the page split.
0: But... Yeah, I just pre-qualified for you. <laughs> perfect. Thank you. <laughs> All right. All right. So, so, Sean, thank you very much for being on our show today. I really appreciate it. And thank you for being um, so you. instrumental and the, uh, you know, and really being a good leader in the industry and telling the truth about what it takes to be successful long term. I really love uh, connecting with folks like you because it sort of reaffirms that um, there is a heart and soul in the industry that's not digital and there's a heart and soul of the yeah. industry that's really not lost connection with the truth about what it takes to be successful long-term in this business. And for that, and for many other things, I thank you for being my co-host today. And listeners, if you need me for anything, it's Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com or Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. Sean Z. Becker, thank you very much. Have a fantastic day, everyone. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. Thank you, My pleasure. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs,